Thank you. 
My third point today, and we begin the podcast part of the sermon, is looking at the servants with the talents, bags of gold. These are church members, individual church members. We find this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 13 to 40, NIV. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold bought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here what is is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Very, very interesting parable of giving an account to the master. Now, the servants that made the profits, the top two servants, the one with five and one with two, each of them gained 100%. What I want you to notice is that the praise for each of them is exactly the same. God will judge your effort and faithful use of your talents, not the success or number of your talents. He's looking for increase. He's looking for faithfulness. And each one was rewarded with a corresponding authority within Christ's kingdom. Remember what I told you in the last point. The way we serve in this life will determine our position in the kingdom for the rest of eternity. 
Now let's look at the, the, the unfaithful servant. The first thing the unfaithful servant did was he acted out of fear. Fear is a killer where it comes to biblical Christianity and, and, and doing things God's way. It is not the right motive for serving God. In John 14, 23, in the Amplified Version, Jesus, answered, Jesus says, Jesus answered, if anybody really loves me, he will keep my word, my teaching. And fear is going to come in and it's going to erode motivation. It's going to erode desire. It's going to erode everything you have. And it's going to allow all the other garbage to come in. And eventually at the end of your life, when you have to give an account... You'll be giving back talents unused. Second thing you need to understand about this unfaithful servant is that laziness is equated to wickedness in God's eyes. So when God sees laziness, God sees wickedness. In verse 26, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Now this was something important and it was interesting because I, had a lot of th- I did a lot of thinking about this point. Laziness equals wickedness. In the church, we've got our, sometimes we've got our values all out of whack. So for example, we won't tolerate people smoking or tolerate people drinking and, and, and or people committing adultery, which is correct. But most churches actually don't deal with lazy believers. Now, I've tackled one or two lazy believers. But I've never actually dealt with a lazy believer as it relates to wickedness. I've not put it in the same category as drunkenness or adultery. So I was thinking, although I didn't have enough time to do any research on this, and maybe you can do this, is God's condemnation for laziness worse or the same as that for drunkenness? That's food for thought. So today in our Laodicean churches, we have people in our churches that are too lazy to become real disciples of Jesus Christ, too lazy to read the Bible, too lazy to pray, too lazy to attend church services regularly where they can be fed and trained and and, and released as disciples, too lazy to get involved in the ministry, and they hide behind this excuse and that excuse, which God is not going to excuse. So they just sit in the pews, and they're very nice to everybody. They don't harm anyone. They put money in the collection, and they do not use their talents. And we look at them and we don't think that they are wicked. But Jesus does. What a terrifying position to be in when you stand before Judge Jesus and you've been lazy with regards to the use of your gifts and talents in his service. Hearing this message, knowing that he equates laziness with wickedness. Verse 27, NIV. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Put money with the bankers. This person knew exactly 
what was required of him or her. O Lord, I know you harvest where you did not sow, but I was afraid. I have an excuse. I was wounded. I got hurt. I got spoken to badly. This church doesn't offer me a little safe space. If you did not go out and risk for yourself, for whatever reason and excuse you give yourself, why then did you not join a ministry that is really kingdom orientated? Or why then did you not join someone else who is prepared to go out and risk and work for them, invest in them, invest in their ministry, invest your talent in their ministry so that he would get interest when he returned on what he has given you? But hiding in a congregation, sitting idly, whining, oh, I've only got one talent, oh, I've been hurt, oh, I've been wounded, oh, I've been spoken badly, oh, this one didn't greet me, or whatever excuse you carry today, might get you a sympathy vote in the church. But that is not going to fly when you stand before the head of the church, the talent giver. Not to use is to lose. Spiritual gifts that God gives are unconditional and he will never ask for them back. But if you don't use them, you're going to lose them. Verse 30. Throw out the worthless servant into outer darkness. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outer darkness. Not heaven. Not hell. Not the furnaces of hell. But out of darkness, another place. So my advice for you in the age that we're in now, in the age that is coming, is stay away from lazy people. They will hinder you from using your talent because laziness is a corruption, a wicked corruption. And you know the principles of corruption and it is contagious. They have this ability to sap desire from you they have this ability to sap goals from you to sap this urgency from you and to get you sitting around on your couch doing nothing my advice warn them walk away from them recruit people around you that are the same as you matthew 6:33 people now before i go on to my fourth group of people i just want to look at this passage of scripture from luke's perspective and we find this parallel in luke chapter 19 verse 19 to 27 now i specifically want you to look at jesus differently or i want you to look at another aspect of jesus looking at him as judge let's read verse 11 while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Now, when I finish preaching and you want something to meditate over, besides the homework I'm going to give you, I want you to think about verse 14 and verse 27. I've underlined both these verses. Verse 14. But his subjects 
hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, the master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you, because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, now I want you to notice these words, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man. Now notice a different Jesus. Jesus is saying, I am a hard man. Taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I come back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. So much for socialism in the Bible. (laughs) That's just a jab. Now, verse 27, underlined. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Whoa. Let's just think about that for a second. Bring them here and kill them in front of me. This is the fact of the return of Jesus. Don't mess with the king. Just remember what these people had done and he repaid them. These people are subjects of the kingdom. He has gone away. They are servants in the kingdom. He has gone away. And they are now telling him, don't come back. This is the false church. Obviously, when reading the word from the word, and not from some sin-colored, rose-tinted glasses, we begin to see different aspects about who Jesus actually is. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Now look at verse 14. His subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to be king. What is my advice to you in this matter? People that are trying to foist on you agnostic Jesus... A different Jesus, a different religion, a a religion of demons. And they are clothed in the garments of clergy. People who do not want Jesus to be king. My advice to you 
stay very far away from this type of person and have absolutely nothing to do with this type of person. Identify them as quickly as possible. Avoid them. Have nothing to do with them. In this age, in the first three and a half years, definitely, and most definitely in the second three and a half years. So what have we looked at so far? Two types of leaders. Identify and have nothing to do with wolves and hirelings. Ten virgins. Understand that you cannot give what you've personally gotten from Jesus to foolish church members who are morally deficient, who do not want to go personally into an intimate relationship with Jesus and get for themselves. Can't give what you've got to them. And thirdly, we've looked at the servants with the talents. Stay away from lazy people and stay away from people who reject Jesus no matter how they try and coat it, no matter how they try and disguise it through teaching or through this or that or the other. Stay away from these people. They will do you no good. Learn to identify them now in the age of grace that we are currently living in. Because when we get into the three and a half years, your discernment needs to be so fine-tuned it's going to have to be like radar where you will just avoid them by just looking at them physically. That's my personal view. Right, our last point. Sheep and goat nations. Matthew chapter 25 verse 31 to 46. Let's read. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king replied, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the one of the least of these Brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They, all will also, they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the judgment of the nations. And the judgment criteria for them is how did they treat the Jews and how did they treat the land of Israel. Joel chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 gives us the setting. 
in the first couple of words we get we get given by the prophet the time frame of the of this passage which is the end times when Jesus returns in those days and at that time there it is when i restore the fortunes of judah and jerusalem I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. Two things there. Persecution of the Jews, anti-Semitism, and dividing up God's land. What you've got to remember about Israel Biblical Israel, biblical, the biblically geographical, the biblical demarcated geographical area of Israel. That piece of land is God's land. He gave it to the Jews in an everlasting covenant. God is not restoring the land for their sake. He's restoring it for his sake and his namesake, his holy name. Now here are two warnings for you. Don't be a Jew and promote giving up this land for peace. Unfortunately, that's what's going to happen and that's going to trigger the seven years. A peace deal, giving up land for peace, I suspect will take place between Israel and the United Nations led by the false prophet. And a seven year treaty will be signed for peace. That's following, I believe, the Psalm 83, Isaiah 17, and there's a scripture in Jeremiah of, of Elam, the prophecy of Elam, that war. Don't be a Jew and promote giving up this land for peace. Number two, don't be a Gentile and demand the Jews give up this land for peace. So the second charge against the nations is that they've divided up his land. Notice that the nations will be judged for dividing up the land. Now in today's terms, dividing up the land of Israel is called partition. Land for peace. It doesn't matter who does it. It doesn't matter your motive it doesn't matter what your intention is. It doesn't matter for the fact that you want global peace. It really doesn't matter. That land belongs to God. God gave it to the Jews in an everlasting covenant. By you dividing it, no matter what your motive, you become a goat or a goat nation. For example, Britain has had a very, very checkered history with regard to the Jews for quite some time. Now, from the League of Nations time, they were, they were given, uh, oh, the, the name of it has just slipped me, but they were given governorship over the land of Israel, which they then began suddenly to call Palestine. Um, I'm, I'm, my dates and timing for this is pretty wrong because there's no such nation as Palestinians and there's no such land as the Palestinian land. But during that period of time, Britain then, under their rulership of that land by United Nations Charter, partitioned the land, creating Transjordan, which they cut 70% of the land of Israel off from Israel. 
And since that day, even up until 1948, they have been trying to prevent Israel from being reconstituted as a nation. Now, whether this is coincidental or whether it is a result of this kind of judgment taking place, the British Empire fell apart without a war being fought after that date. Interesting. A nation that had never really lost a war since the American War of Independence. Suddenly, their whole empire, worldwide empire, is gone. And they'd just come out of being successful in a world war. So Jesus comes and he, be- and he sets up his throne, his judgment throne, and he begins to judge the Gentile nations, not the Jews, not the church. He begins to judge the Gentile nations. And the judgment is on the basis of, of how they treated the Jews, the brothers and sisters of Jesus, and how they divided up his land. Now, you've got to remember something, and this is going to make every anti-Semite turn in their grave and spit towards heaven, and it's going to make the Muslims go even more uh, peaceful. And that is really sarcasm at its highest. Jesus himself is a Jew. He's not this blonde, blue-eyed, white Messiah walking around with a glow coming off his head. He's Middle Eastern born. He is a Jew. Now remember his title. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah is where the name Jew comes from. Now think about this. Jesus did not only identify with the Jews for 33 years while he was on earth. He identifies them with them for eternity. A Jew is not only the king of the Jews, but he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of all creation. Now do you begin to understand the root hatred of anti-Semitism? Ultimately, it's a hatred of Jesus. It's a hatred of God. It's it's an attempt to wipe out any trace of God on this planet. So when he comes back, there will be nothing left for him to come back to. That's their goal. And and anti-Semitism is one of those avenues in which they're trying to perpetuate that goal. When you start to see anti-Semitism rising to fever pitch amongst the nations, you better take care, you better look up, things are going to start to happen. Pay attention to your personal opinions and reactions with regards to the Jewish nation and Israel. And through whatever means you possibly can, If you have the ability to vote, if you're in a country that has the ability to vote, listening to this podcast, pay attention to what your politician, local politicians say and support. And vote for those that are actually in support of the nation of Israel. As anti-Semitism rises, and I believe God is going to permit it, and it's going to get worse, what God is doing is He is causing His people the Jews, to return to their homeland, Israel. Now, that's important for you to understand. The only place on earth the Jew is permitted to live is actually in the land of Israel. 
And it's the one place that the devil wants to wipe out any trace of Jews. And he has forever been trying to occupy the land. At the time of Joshua, prior to Joshua's invasion, he put in nations of giants there to keep the Jews out. You look at the stories of David with, with, with the invasions around David's time. There were a couple of giants sprinkled there as well. And today you have a so-called Palestinian nation, but there is no such thing as a Palestinian nation. And they are trying to occupy the place. They are trying to say, hey, this is our place. The Al-Aqsa Mosque. No, it's been there forever. No, it hasn't. That's an abomination of desolation because the Muslims don't believe that God has a son. Anybody that say, The Bible says anybody that does not acknowledge that God has a son is an antichrist. Antichrist religion right there. Sitting on the Dome of the Rosk. Sitting on the Temple Mount. Right where Jesus is going to come back. Anyway, let me not get sidetracked. We'll discuss all those topics later on. What happens to the goat nations? Matthew twenty-five forty-one. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Remember, the, the, I think it's the promise to Abraham, whoever blesses you will be blessed, whoever curses you will be cursed. It's interesting that the, the tiny nation of Israel you know, has produced an over and an abundance of technology and stuff that has blessed our lifestyle that we use today. And yet, you look at what the nations of the earth are trying to do to Israel. Very interesting. So what was their crime? They did not show mercy. I'd always thought, now this is a personal opinion, alright? It's just a thought, it's not something that is set in stone for me. But I'd always thought that the Antichrist, together with the false prophet at the return of Jesus, on his judging them... They will be the ones, first people that will be thrown into the lake of fire. And they will be there in the lake of fire for a thousand years before the second resurrection of the dead at the white throne judgment seat of the Lord. And then at the white throne judgment seat, the dead who died without Christ will be raised up from wherever they've been placed. They will get judged according to the books and the book of life. And their names will not be in the Lamb's book of life. And they will be thrown into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. But it would seem from this passage that the goat nations will join the false prophet and the Antichrist in the lake of fire prior to that event. I am not sure if what I'm going to say is correct. I'm just this is just my thinking. But I'm thinking that the goat nations will join the false prophet and the antichrist before the thousand years for the thousand years before the white throne judgment now i'm not sure if it's the whole nation i'm not sure if it's just the leaders of the nation i'm not sure if it's just the leaders and those who were practicing anti-semites within the nation who aggravated and allowed the leaders to do this I'm, i don't know that, it's not mine to judge that's the judge who will judge that but what a frightening beginning of their eternal life 
Here is a punishment that has not been made for human beings. The lake of fire is a place that hasn't been created for us. We do not have to go there. Satan and his angels do not have a choice. The rebellious angels, the angels that turn against God, they don't have a choice. They know that when Jesus returns, they're gone. When the white throne judgment takes place, they're gone. But human beings have a choice. And the only reason for them to be in the lake of fire is because they've made the wrong choice. To the others, Jesus says in verse 34, Come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now the issue here was, who is going to be admitted to the kingdom, and who wasn't? And this is the kingdom of Jesus on the earth. This is the millennium reign. The nations who passed the test, and the people who survived to the end, and met the Lord Jesus in his return, these nations who passed the test, who are not part of the church, they will be admitted into the millennium reign. That's my understanding. Right, let's wrap up the sermon. Last week we looked at religious people, 2 Timothy chapter 3. In this sermon we've looked at four types of people. We've looked at leaders, two types of leaders. And the one type of leaders, wolves and hirelings, stay away from them. Identify them and stay away from them. The second group of people, we looked at ten virgins. And we need to put into our head, we cannot give to those who are morally deficient within the church what we have personally received from Jesus Christ. We can't give them our gold, we can't give them our clothes, and we can't give them our eyes solved. They have to go to Jesus and get it for themselves personally. Stay away from them. Especially as we go into this first part of the three and a half years. That is the group, I think, part of a group that will betray you. Together with the two Timothy three people and together with the wolves and hirelings. The servants and the talents stay away from lazy people. They will drag you down and they will get you into trouble. You are going to answer for your conduct to the Lord. So stay away from these people. All right, stay away from people who do not want Jesus to be king. And finally, stay away from anti-Semites. Stay away from politicians who are known to be anti-Israel. Just stay away from these people. They are cursed. The Bible says so. Okay, now... Next week, what I'm going to do next week is try and give you four foundations. The first foundation will be Derek Prince, his teaching on the seven reasons for you to be a student of biblical prophecy. It's very good, a very good foundation stone. The next foundation stone is just looking at briefly the three coming ages, so the age of the Gentiles and then the seven years, which I've divided into two, and they're thus calling it three ages coming prior to the return of Jesus. The next foundation will be looking at worldviews. What is a Western worldview, Greek orientated? What is a Eastern worldview? And what is a Hebraic biblical worldview? Pretty important for you to understand if you're studying end times. And then finally, we'll be looking at, and this is from Jacob Prash, a very good teaching on how prophetic revelation and prophetic um, unveiling actually speeds up as the closer we get to the event. Very good stuff for you to understand. 
This is what I want you to look at throughout the week and meditate on an answer. How will studying biblical prophecy help you in everyday life? And then the next question is, what is your personal worldview at this point in time? God bless. Have a great week. Thank you.